Sonic Statesman.com. Hello and welcome to Sonic State Sonic Talk episode 11 as we continue our journey into double figures. Hello to Holland Jones. Hello. Hello, Andy Jones. Hello. And Dave Spears. Hi to you. Hello. Right. Um, one of the first things we were going to talk about was um, this IK uh, multimedia offer. They seem to be discounting like crazy. You can save almost two grand if you buy all their stuff. Um, I Yeah, I used um, T-Rex. I've been using it for a, a while for various things, um, which is quite a cool mastering software. And I think, if I remember correctly, it was one of the, one of the first uh, mastering plugins or mastering bits of software available. Um, and it hasn't changed an awful lot um, for the last few years. But, um, yeah, definitely a decent bit of software. It was, uh, it was sort of all about valve emulation, I seem to remember. It used to be standalone a long time back. Yeah, it still is. Um, I think it comes in... I think it still comes in two versions. It, it used to be just standalone, uh, and now I think it's standalone, and you can have it as a plug-in, either as a suite of, of, um, of racks or as individual modules, um, with some quite interesting presets in there as well. Yeah, cool. And also Amplitude, um, there was that was the sort of first proper um, guitar amp emulation, wasn't it? I mean, we were speculating as to whether or not, I mean, because these, these products were sort of quite a lot of them were first to market uh, and sort of quite well respected. Maybe, you know, they're just um, giving them a big PR push by flogging, flogging a load of them uh, um, off cheap, basically, to, um, to pave the way for some more stuff, possibly. I, th- I do think, uh, uh, like you say, a lot of it was first to market sample tank was the first sort of workstation, wasn't it, from, from memory. I remember seeing T-Rex when I was on Computer Music Magazine back in 99, would it have been? Would it have been that long? Yeah, it was a long time back. Yeah, yeah. They must be working on new stuff as well. I mean, uh, they've used their, you know, their sample tank engine has had a good... Uh, has done a few a few hundred thousand miles now, I would say. Now, I had a look at their classic studio reverb. Um, we saw that in uh, Mesa and probably Nam this year, and that looked quite nice. I mean, you know, did a good emulation of some sort of classic digital reverb unit. I thought that was quite new. Yet that's part of the bundle as well. Well, that's that's pretty good then. And the Miroslav. I mean, the, the, the other thing about Miroslav. I mean, they've obviously acquired the rights to use because that's quite a, that library's you know an old library. It's been around for a long time, wasn't it? One of the first ever sort of um, proper string libraries. Uh, do you know, I'm not sure. I used the Denny Yeager one for a long time. Yeah, I, th- I think it was, but um, you know, it was obviously very popular amongst um, a lot of the sort of US sound, um, film guys. I mean, but again, you know, they've they've I think they've sort of put that into the the sample tank engine effectively and and added a few new um, articulations and what have you. But um, yeah, it looks like a good deal anyway. So if you're if you're new to IK stuff, I mean, you probably get a chance to try out sample tank because, like Andy says, there are an awful lot of LE and light and bundled version so it's probably worth having a look at okay this topic is uh, about the fact that universal music which is one of the largest music groups in the in the world has joined forces uh, with a company called spiral frog to offer free downloads uh, in return for advertising um, universal music will be getting a share of the advertising revenue and also some funds up front from spiral frog to cover uh, music sales uh, yeah that's pretty fascinating isn't it? it is i mean i noticed um, i was watching uh, news 24 this morning um, when i got up horrifically early because my daughter woke up they were talking about it and they gave the kind of md quite a lot of airtime to uh, plug his wares essentially what it does is they're providing free downloads 
and the model that they're using to fund this of their music uh, free download free music downloads is that you have to watch or listen to or view you know 30 seconds of ads or however long it is before you get your free track uh, and they claim that they'll be able to actually f- give the record company the revenue they need um, just through using this model. And it sounds kind of a bit utopian to me. My God, do they come round to your house with matchsticks and put them in your eyes like uh, Clockwork Orange and force you to watch these adverts? They claim to also be um, be gunning for iTunes. Um, well, isn't, isn't I mean, I've seen a lot of th- a lot of threads on a lot of forums recently saying that music's devalued and you know uh, MP3s have have made the album less valuable i mean does this not add fuel to that debate if music becomes free then it becomes more disposable um yeah i i would have thought so too um but as a punter you're going to be sort of somehow implicit in that bargain you know so you'll know that your part of the deal is to look at the advertising or to be exposed to it It just sort of feels a bit kind of i don't know dirty dirty somehow yes i know i I was reading the reading the article and it said um that if you don't watch a certain amount of advertising every month then your music collection that you've downloaded from this service will lock and you won't be able to listen to it at all (laughs) that you've bought no that's what it said that's what honestly that's i remember it because it's so nuts (laughs) that's just really apparently that's what napster does as well if you don't uh pay except there it's with a subscription if you don't pay your monthly subscription then the music you've already bought becomes sort of locked and you can't listen to it some kind of i don't know some kind of um drm i imagine there must be something going on because i mean they also say you know you can't burn it to a cd and you're not going to be able to put it on your ipod on an ipod yeah do the artists get paid well presumably they do a deal with the record company but i mean in no in nowhere does it mention anything to do with the publishing company so presumably there's i don't quite know how this is going to work i mean it does feel um it feels like a lot of spin and somebody who's desperately trying to um, get to a position where they can float their company and bog off with the profits, to me. Mm. Certainly raises more questions than answers, doesn't it? It sounds like a, a lot of marketing speak. They talk about focus groups and you know large amounts of um, research they've done into people who are prepared people who say they're prepared to watch and i think it was 90 seconds of advertising in return for a free download but it sounds like something that you could sell to uh, a boardroom full of people who don't really understand anything about technology music you don't, under- don't understand that as soon as the advert starts someone will go and make a cup of tea and come back when it's finished do you think it probably detects whether its window is the foremost? You know, I mean, how much it does rather. Sa- I mean, well, presumably they'll have to offer this thing. Because if I was an advertiser, I'd be saying, I mean, if people are being forced to watch my stuff, what's that doing for my brand? Is that actually doing my brand any good? I'm not sure. I'm I'm interested in 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 music being a transaction of, you know, advertising for free stuff. I mean, what do you think? Uh, no, I'm not actually. I, I I really like iTunes. I like it gives me the ability to check out stuff that I wouldn't normally listen to, you know, listen to a snippet. And if I like, and I it, really I don't mind paying for something that I want to listen to. So this is a kind of, it's, it's, it's a complete pig in a poke as far as I'm concerned. I have to wonder whether the agenda was to scare the shit out of Apple though. But if I was Apple, I'd just be thinking, yeah, go on then. Waste yeah, your money. Yeah. You know, yeah. thank you very much. That's going to cost you several million quid. Cause what they've actually done is, as far as I understand it, they've agreed to give Universal, who were the first um, music group to, to sign up to this, 
a guaranteed amount of sales. So, and in fact, one of the quotes was, if somebody buys a million CDs off me and then decides to give them away on a street corner, I don't care because I still get paid. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Uh, and maybe <laughs> it's, it's, it seems like a very strange equation. Although I'm sure, you know, they're going to get a massive spike when they first launch because everybody's going to go, yeah, 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 I want free stuff. Probably get, um, you know, several hundred thousand subscribers, an email list, and then someone, you know, might come along and go, oh, there's a company I wouldn't mind buying. Well, anyway, that's that. I'm I'm sure we'll be hearing from their lawyers. Um, (laughs) Well, I hope not. Oh, well, maybe it'll do us good. Maybe we can back... Well, maybe we can get some publicity for our podcast on the back of them suing us for telling us... for saying that it's rubbish. (laughs) And we're giving away chat for free. Yeah. Well, I personally am giving away a lot of air at the moment. Coming soon from Sonic State. Hi, um, I'm Andrew Coleman, um, also known as Animals on Wheels. Uh, I'm a musician and producer and bender. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I, um, Just by uh, short circuiting, I've got these, I've put knobs on. <laughs> Quite good, isn't it? Which I suppose links us to, did anyone see this um, BPI asked the cops to strengthen law enforcement on copyright infringement? Um, and um, Which kind of begged the question, as always, you know, something goes up the priority list, something else comes down. What, what crimes should be low, considered lower than stealing intellectual copyright? Oh, no, there's a question. <laughs> and, and, I mean, is it really down to the police? I mean, should, should, um, should it not be a question of... I mean, the, the, the record industry have always been, you know, home taping is killing music, you know, right back to, from there. They've always well, had to spend their own money on, on telling people that they shouldn't be doing it going to go into this um nick because they obviously the, the guy at the car boot sale and i've been to a couple of car boot sales and i've seen the bloke i mean he really is taking the piss i mean the, 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 these guys will have everything you've ever seen in any record shop they're knocking them out for a pound a time yeah and, that does make me uh, cross and it makes me cross right? because the people who run the car boot shells should say listen mate hop it we don't want that sort yeah. of business and they don't i don't know is it is it the job of the police it doesn't seem like um the police are going to be able to prioritise anything like this? Uh, it is, to nick them. It is. I'm going to stick my neck out here. Okay. Because, as a software developer, we're constantly getting ripped off by these thugs and thieves. And they're nasty, you know, nine times out of ten, they're pretty nasty individuals. Well, I say probably eight times out of ten, they're pretty nasty individuals. But uh, somebody, you know, the problem is, is that I can get stuff pulled from the web quite easily, but I have no control. I mean, when we first started doing software back in the early 90s, the only thing we had to worry about was stuff being sold at Barra Market in Glasgow and maybe, um, you know, a couple of the local markets or some. But that was it. Now it's just so epidemic. It's absurd. I mean, I saw a site the other day that was selling all of the... um, the Spectrasonic stuff, selling all our stuff. I mean, it's basically selling everything, and it's literally like, you know, you pay five or ten quid for a DVD, and we'll fill it with whatever you want. You know, somebody's got to come down on these guys, for Christ's sake. I mean, trading standards probably haven't got a clue what's going on half the time, unless it involves huge publishing companies with a lot of legal clout. 
But every time I kind of hear this whole, you know, oh, piracy doesn't do any harm. I mean, I just think of a mate with a small independent record label who struggled for years and years to get a profile and, you know, ends up going completely out of business, not because he wasn't good at his job or not because any of the artists weren't good, but because basically as soon as the album comes out, you see this massive sales spike initially and then it just drops off as it's stuffed on peer-to-peer stuff. I mean, I don't know how it's going to, I don't know how we can stop it but there needs to be some kind of enforcement. This kind of goes back to our previous item about uh, Spiral Frog and Universal. You know, they're just saying, well, this stuff is going to happen. So maybe what we can do is encourage people to at least enter into a transaction with us in terms of a revenue, you know, whether that be advertising or whatever, in return for something free rather than just get it free anyway and then feel that they're going to, you know, uh, share it on on peer peer-to-peer networks or whatever. I think there's something that, that some people haven't looked at with this, is that the CD itself has been devalued, in fact, by magazines and things like that, giving them away. And I don't actually think that people, as in the general public, and people who buy stuff at car boot sales, are really able to see a CD as being worth £14 anymore uh, in, in any format or a DVD. I think there's so much free stuff. I mean, you open up a Sunday times or a sunday paper and yeah. a dvd will come out there's so many giveaways there's so much stuff that's given away that, that the value of everything seems to have come down and that's how these 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 people at car boot sales get away with it because people people don't feel guilty about paying a pound for a cd i remember when we first put a cd on the front cover of future music the sales uplift was amazing people really did think they're giving away a cd and it's worth a tenner or it's a sample cd or that kind of thing but that, over the last uh, two years, when we start giving away a DVD, you know, which has got God knows how much more content, four and a half times the amount of content, people didn't really give a damn. You know, it's just a DVD. And, and that, is, that happened in the space of ten years, that the, that the value of this, this electronic commodity has just plummeted completely. The general public don't think this stuff is worth anything. That's the problem. Do you think maybe also it's combined with the fact that there might be a perception that if you're a pop star, you're a millionaire. Yes. Everybody who thinks, everybody, anybody who's made any music, and they've had a dent in the charts, people assume that they've got millions of pounds in the bank. So Go together. Why should I pay £14 for their CD because they're really rich already? That's, there's a lot of that going on, I think. Mm. And I think the, the, the MySpace thing and, the, like you say, the amount of music there is, the unsigned music that's out there, that devalues the, the signed music. And also... The production quality, not necessarily the songwriting quality, but the production quality has gone right up for the unsigned stuff because of the technology available. And uh, there might have been a subconscious thing that people were thinking, well, I'm paying full price for this album because it's been mastered in a proper studio and used by proper musicians. Then they hear stuff that sounds not as good but pretty good, which is free. I don't know about that because, I mean, ultimately, you know, we're talking about a, re- a record buying or a music consuming public who are happy to download ringtones as representations. So I'm not sure that the quality issue is, you know, it might be interesting to say you or I or Dave who are into music production and enjoy the technical kind of aspect and the, and the kind of quality or audio files. But I think, you know, most teenagers probably couldn't give a damn. I don't have that much sympathy with major labels because they've been screwing artists for years and years and years. But I do have an enormous amount of sympathy for small independent companies who do things as a labour of love. 
I'm sure if we had a representative from the record company um, here, they'd probably argue that, or I've, well, I've heard it argued that, yes, for all the ones that we know about, there are ones that don't make it that still cost an enormous amount of money to market and make an album and what have you. That's why yeah, they. Yeah. That's why they. You know, they have to make their their percentages are so important with the successful stuff. I I, th- I think what one thing that we can surmise is there isn't a solution that works yet. And unfortunately, anything to do with digital rights or um, protection, it tends to be linked with an invested technology. Like Windows have their own thing, QuickTime has their own thing. You know, there's 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 nothing that's going to be global, or there isn't anything global yet. So um, you know, we're still not there yet, and we haven't evolved the technology to make it so. Mm. And it's interesting that I mean, the music thing is obviously different because you can do a direct copy. Whatnot, but I mean, has anyone seen any of these bloody film rip-off DVDs? Yeah, literally recorded with a camcorder at the back of a cinema. For <laughs> Christ's sake, anyone who's going to buy that, it just deserves to be ripped off. Man. Well, I actually, I, I, I'll, I'll put my hand up here and say I, I did see one of these guys at a car boot sale, and I bought one. I thought, I wonder what it's like, and it was literally uh, a f- somebody filming something at. Um, yeah, at cinema, and um, they got the normalisation. You know, the auto gain on the camera had made the audio just full volume all the time, even in the quiet bits. So there was actually no atmosphere or any tension because it was all at ten the whole time. So it kind of rather ruined the viewing experience. Sonic State. Pong on the MPC One Thousand. <laughs> Great idea. This enterprising group of uh, Japanese hackers who actually legitimately um, are hacking the MPC operating system to, to provide extra functionality and features that people request uh, have have, uh, have actually hacked it and put a game of Pong in that you use with the, the scroll wheel. I mean, I did actually go to their site and have a look to see if I could find the screenshots. Um, we got this from uh, the Music Thing blogspot, and there was a, an animated GIF of Pong happening on their, uh, on the screen, but I couldn't find anything on there, so I don't know whether it's an Easter egg in something that they've done, but uh, it's quite a good laugh. I could imagine, you know, you could use it like those uh, Brian Eno cards, um, oblique strategies, so perhaps when you're having a little trouble uh, coming up with something, you could just boot into Pong on your NPC and uh, have a couple of games and, and see if that frees up some... I find it hard enough to sit down and make music. It is about the distraction of video games as well. I, mean, that, I just use it as an excuse not to make music. I think it's great in that respect. I've seen um, someone manage to install Linux on an iPod, Oh yeah, we, interesting. Yeah, we talked about that um, a little while back, actually, and that was... Yes, you can actually run a version of Linux on an iPod. Or the other one that was good um, we talked about a few weeks ago was the running a version of uh, Linux on a Corg Oasis. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, Dave, you you must be very tempted to uh, to be putting Easter eggs into your software products. I mean, you you must have at some point. Uh, yes, we do. Yeah. As, <laughs> have they all been found, or are there any that were still no, need to be no, searched? No, no, no. Uh, I think one's been found so far. Here's here's one you might not know about. It's utterly useless. Um, but in the course of writing a couple of books about reason, um, I found out that. Um, one of the modules, you know, where they're screwed into the rack, all the modules. Um, if you, I think it's if you click and drag on the screws that hold it into the into the rack, they'll actually come out. Brilliant. <laughs> Which Brilliant. is utterly pointless, but fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I like with this NPC thing that it had copyright Atari on the. Yes, I saw that. One. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Uh, no, God we bless did Atari. Do, we did do one. Uh, 
Easter egg because the development of uh, it was for the Imposca, which was the sort of latter stages of development were very very fraught and in the end Chris my partner just kept saying look walk away from it for 24 hours and come back to it uh, and so in the end we put in an appropriate Easter egg on that and uh, I'm not going to tell you what the key commands are but it has something to do with the hash key it just makes for a bit of fun you know but developments uh, pretty stressful so uh, yeah sometimes yeah. somebody can come up with an idea we had we had a one synth in development that was um a kind of it was a bit of a jd800 style thing so you had kind of four synths that you'd layer up to create one sound and we color coded each synth you know and and actually the color codes just looked like that old 70s simon game do you remember that oh yeah so that was my big easter egg for that one it's like right we have to have the ability to play simon on this and actually most of the coders are more intrigued by that than they were doing the bloody work <laughs> so you ended up with a fantastic implementation of simon and a rubbish synth yeah, we never even bothered releasing the synths. <laughs> Did you ever release the Simon game? <laughs> no, we should have done, maybe. We might have made more money. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's been some screenshots leaked of SX4, which can be called Cubase SX4, which is kind of curious as that it's actually going down in, in uh, version numbers. It should actually, by rights, be something like Cubase 9, but they can call it Cubase SX4. And according to the, some of the things I've seen, it looks like they've sort of borrowed quite heavily from the sort of 2D look, which is uh, sort of Ableton-esque. I think that's a slight confusion there. It should be it should be SX4, because it is SX version 4, but they're dropping the SX. This is what I read, that it's going to be just Cubase 4. Which presumably means they're streamlining the versions down. Or maybe they'll have, maybe they'll call it Cubase 4 Lite for Cubase SL or something like that. Oh, I suppose, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I used to use Cubase all the time on the Atari. I mean, that was my kind of sequencer of choice, you know, right back from uh, Pro 24 through up to, um, well, Cubase, I suppose. Um, Actually, it is still my, I, this is my, my big thing is Cubase. I use it all the time. And that, is that on a PC or on a Mac? I use it on a Mac, actually. Yeah, there is a lot of um, talk on the old forums about the fact that you know it's 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 quicker on a PC, um, which is mainly a graphics issue actually. You know, but there is there is still a, a, a pretty healthy um, group of uh, OS ten Cubase users out there, and Steinberg has has said that they're committed to um, you know continuing development, as evidenced by the fact that this Cubase four, if that's what it's going to be called, is a universal binary. Right. Uh, so it'll run on Intel Macs, obviously, and it'll run on PowerPC, and obviously it'll run on on PCs as well. But it'll be interesting. I'll be very interested to get a copy of it because I, um, as far as I'm aware, I'm going to be reviewing it. Um, but I haven't been told anything about it. In fact, these screenshots that that Nick sent me, the link to, are the first thing I've seen about SX4. They've sort of streamlined a lot of the graphics, um, and and borrowed some of the plugins. Look like they've borrowed pretty heavily from Logic's plugins, visually speaking. Um, and the interface itself is a bit more in the style of live. Um, and I also one one of the things I like from those screenshots, if if they are real and, and they look like they probably are, is the um, the sort of integrated um, integrated windows. Because one of the things, although I love Cubase to bits and I use it all the time, um, it's a bit window heavy. And I've got two screens and I still find it a bit window heavy. Um, you know, there's a window for the project page, there's a window for each editor, there's a window for virtual instruments, there's a window for the transport bar and so on and so forth. And they seem to have kind of integrated sort of the, the pool and the file browsers and, and, and some of the inspectors into a single window, or at least you have the option to do that. It looks you like. can sort of dock them. It's I think you're right there, Alan. When I've, when I've used uh, Cubase on a Mac, you can try and hide it, but it, but Windows still seem to remain on screen because it's, it's, it's so bitty. 
Uh, so yeah, if they can I, join them all up, that would be uh, that would be great. It looks it looks like they have from those screenshots. Yeah, um, one of the things they have sort of hinted at quite heavily on the, the Steinberg forum is that it's going to have some new or possibly all new VST plugins, which it badly needs because um, despite the fact that they've they invented VST, um, Cubase has sort of it's even when they moved from VST to SX or the the SX SL series. They didn't do anything with the plugins, or they did very little with them, and they're pretty lame, really, compared to a lot of the stuff that's out there. Um, mm. Especially, you know, Logic or Sonar, or you know, they all come with some pretty cool stuff. But it looks like they've um, they've done a lot of work in that area. Well, well there's three doing? that they there's three that they mention uh, synthwise. I think they're Mystic, Spectre, and Prolog. And Mystic yeah. has been pointed out by somebody on the forums. Looks a little bit like Dakota. Uh, or a cut-down version of Dakota, which would be pretty cool. I, I, that was quite an unusual synth, or quite a good, good synth. Mm. Um, and um, one of them looks a bit like, I think you said, uh, a little bit like uh, one of the Logic plugins, ES2, the, I think it ES, is. Yeah, the big one, big, yeah. big synthesizer. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, Steinberg must be one of the longest-running music software houses around, surely. I mean, you know, I, I can't remember when I bought my first copy of Pro 24, but it would have been... Crikey, um, must have been in 1986 or something. Yeah, it's been yeah. 80s, yeah. I, I remember coming back with mine. I, I hired a car and I drove all the way up there and I came all the way back and I got, you know, I got home and I, I bought the entire system and I get it all set up. And I just couldn't make it work. It was I was com- so completely unable to kind of grasp the concept of how the software worked that I thought that they'd sold me something that didn't work and I remember getting really upset and phoning them <laughs> up and shouting at them loads and it took me it took me years to learn how to use Pro 24 actually and it was uh, I, I was kind of glad when Cubase came out because it was it was more the sort of it was more linear wasn't it and um, yeah. you know, yeah, the arrange yeah, window yeah. and all of that but which was first to use the uh, left to right track system that is still used today was it was it Cubase or was it Notator Cubase yeah, I think it so was Cubase. Think about that. I mean, that's 20 years twenty years ago, and that technology is still used in so many pieces of software today. You know, transport bar in the middle, left, right, tracks going down. So it's quite revolutionary. I remember doing sessions. I did a session for um, a local uh, in a local studio um, for uh, Anne Pigal, who was signed to ZTT. Yeah. And I, uh, and I was the programmer. And uh, all I remember is... Basically, getting out of the studio after you know twelve hours, trying to pretend how I, that I knew how this software worked, and I had absolutely no idea whatsoever. And I don't know if any <laughs> of what I did was of ever any use because I didn't know how it worked. I could barely figure out how to save anything. So, um, if anyone from that band is listening now, I'd just like to apologise for my unprofessional <laughs> conduct. But um, yeah, it was really complicated. I seem to remember. Proto only four was horrible. It was really horrible thing to use. Yeah, but, but I think Cubase, that's what made me go for a Creator and Notator. I think I got a copy of Pro Twenty Four and just thought, "My God, this is disgusting," and then ended up as a kind of a Creator dude. Yes, yes. Oh gosh. I mean, we should probably stop because we'll start getting into how much did your first hard drive cost. <laughs> Right, well, moving on to our usual YouTube feature. I don't know if uh, anyone saw the uh, rather terrifying spectacle of Gary Newman um, duetting with Leo Sayer on... uh, I'm not sure what the TV programme was, but they were doing a duet, sort of electronic duet, uh, on Broadway. Um, 
I I found this. I was actually researching uh, videos for our current uh, Gary Newman uh, artist profile, and um, this was the one that I found the most disturbing. Did anyone else see that? Uh, yes. Do you know what's horrible? I remember seeing that on television at the time, and I was a staunch Newmanoid at the time, and even I couldn't defend it. It was so bad. <laughs> God, it would have been about 1985. That's when he had his blue hair. So it was just as it was. It was on the slide then. I wonder how they sold it because Leo Sayer was never particularly cool, was he? And he certainly doesn't look cool in that video. I mean, if he, if anyone hired him for an acting job after watching that, he looked like that bloke Pete from uh, Big Brother. Just kind of, he couldn't stop moving, could he? Possibly a big, well-known fact was that Gary Newman's manager at the time was his dad. So maybe his dad was a Leo Sayer fan. I that, yeah, that could have been it. You had an interesting story, Dave, about uh, how Gary Newman affected your further education. I thought, oh god. Uh, yeah, the arrogance of youth and all that. No, I, no, I was doing um, A-level music, and uh, this is like 1979. The Pleasure Principle had just come out, and everyone was playing it. I played it to death, and uh, I was in. I was so into synths, like you know, from yeah. I walked into my A-level music class, took whatever was playing. I think it was Bach, two and three part inventions, off of the turntable. Plonked me Gary Newman's uh, deep. Uh, DVD for God's sake, plump the Gary Newman record on there and announced that the piano was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Whereupon the uh, teacher said, "Okay, so you've got a synthesizer. Does it play chords? Does it respond to any kind of velocity dynamic? And uh, I suspect your um, synthesizer will be completely outdated within three months. Of course, it was two years old, so it was hopelessly outdated anyway." <laughs> Spears, get to the back of her class. <laughs> yeah. What was your first synth by? Uh, the Arpax. Ah, marvellous. Um, okay, well, I'm, uh, I'm. I feel replete now. I mean, we didn't cover everything, but I think we've 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 uh, certainly given away a lot of free air this week. Thanks, guys. I mean, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you very much, Dave Spears. Thank you. And Holland Jones. Thank you. And Andy Jones. Yeah, thanks. Cheers. And remember, folks, uh, if you want to contact us, you can leave a voicemail on uh, our answer phone, either via Skype, using the Skype handle Sonic Talk, or if you want to use the phone, our number in the US is 312-376-8089. If you're outside the US, 001-312-376-8089. Or you can email us at Sonic Talk. We'd love to hear from you. Bye. Sonic. States. Lots of